Welcome to the Elegant Healthcare Marketing Bastards Podcast. See that? I went from Transylvanian to like Long Island accent. Yeah, that was <laughs> interesting. Awesome. This podcast is for the week of February 20, 2012. This is episode 139. I'm Chris Bevelo, the president of Interval. We're the healthcare marketing firm that puts on the show. <clears throat> With me today are my co-hosts. Jackie Ritaco, account coordinator with Interval. And Adam Meyer, creative director at Interval. Yo, yo. Yo, yo. Hey. I How believe that's go? called Transylviland. Transylviland? Yes. Transylvanese? Look it up. <laughs> I <Wiki> will. <laughs> hey, just I want to give a shout out to my son, who not today, but the day this podcast is posted, turns 14 Man, am I old. Wow. Yeah, you are old. Yeah, you are. I mean, that's cool. That is that's awesome. insane. Yeah, he's going to be driving in it. Well, he'll get his permit next year, right? 15? Yes. And he's very excited to drive, which is good, because I have heard mm-hmm. from numerous people that teenagers these days are not in any hurry to learn how to drive. Yeah, I've heard that as well. It was just odd, because that was like one of the biggest things to look forward to when I was that age. Yeah, it was huge for me. Yeah. I, I don't know. I can't verify this is an actual trend, but I've heard it enough. And I, I, maybe it I've speaks it to the well. whole like stay at home until you're 30 bit too. I don't know. Because when, <laughs> when I was growing up, the last place you wanted to be was your house when you got out of high school. But yeah, you know, a lot of people didn't have a choice with the economic situation. But I think there was a lot more than just the choice. It was just, I don't know. Yeah. But so I'm glad. I'm yeah. glad he wants to learn how to drive. Yeah. Good. Yeah, that's cool. Well, happy right. B day. Happy will he inherit? Jack. Will he inherit the uh, Nissan? <laughs> what is that? Two years from now? No, he will not. <laughs> no. You should get no, him a uh, wood panel minivan. That's what I drove when I first started driving. You're gonna give a six year old boy a minivan? Or are you just gonna have him a pack of condoms too and say go for it? <laughs> <laughs> Take out the back seat and put a mattress in there. <laughs> My brother did that when he got the car after me, so I suppose maybe that's not a good idea. No, yeah, I had a uh, 77 Caprice Classic was my first, <laughs> my first car. Nice. That thing had bald tires and in the winter I was completely out of control. Rear wheel drive. Like Sounds safe. Yeah. I should say too that, um, I was not, I did not become driving age in 1977. I was actually born in 1977. <laughs> Why did you so say it, that? It, it was an old car. Well, I said it was a 77 oh, Caprice yeah. Classic. I didn't want oh. To mislead people into thinking that I'm like 50 years old. Or that you got a brand new car when you were 16. That also says something about you. Yes. I did not. I had lots of, Uh, got a couple crappy used cars. Those are the best. I had a Dodge Aries K that couldn't go over 60 (laughs) if I was driving into the wind. The K car. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) My friends would pass me driving home from school, pointing and laughing. Sounds like my car. They did that, but I didn't have a car. I was just makes, walking along. Makes for some good memories. <laughs> That's a bigger issue, Chris. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> All right, so let's get to uh, let's get to it. We got a couple interesting things here. Um, the first one showed up. This is a story that I think we all saw, but Jackie might have posted it. Mm-hmm. It's from uh, Reagan's Healthcare Communication News, and I and I've read it a few times, and I still struggle to quite understand it. But we'll try to. We'll try to bring it home for you. Uh, this is a list of, it's called Measurement Prediction, 
you will adapt or you will die. So, of course, I love that. We all love that because we believe in measurement so wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. And I've actually said the, something similar when I speak that I believe measurement is a life or death scenario from a career perspective. So we're using mortality here to, to describe the importance of it. So <laughs> good start. So it says um, 10 things you should expect this year according to measurement guru Katie Payne. Find out what else awaits you. Now, the, the trick here is I'm, there's a couple things. It doesn't have context for me. Like I think this is just social media. <clears throat> and the you in it is interesting because sometimes I think she's talking to social media companies. And other times I think she's talking to social media marketers. So, But I thought we could go through these and see what, you know, we like to go through like these lists and see if we agree or disagree. Have you guys taken a look at this or is this, this going to be spanking new for you? No, I have perused it. Mm-hmm, me too. Okay. So one, you will adapt or you will die. Part one, flexibility will win out over price of measurement vendors. The ability to adapt to changing influencer lists, media lists, et cetera, will become a primary differentiator to which companies win contracts. See, doesn't it sound like she's talking about social media consultants there? Yeah, a little bit. I'm kind of lost on that one. Yeah. Because later on, she says, uh, you will be bought or sold. Right. So anyway, I think, so to back up, she is talking to people that have social media consultancies, measurement companies, uh, whatever. So we're going to have to interpret these for our own use since they're not really <laughs> aimed at us. But I still think they were good. Some are um, odd, though. Um, I agree. And some, are, and some are, I mean, some don't feel specific to that crowd. Like, you will go mobile. Um, right. Which is number three you'll get in there. Um, it doesn't, I mean, any social media agency that's not already, you know, thinking mobile is doing something wrong. <laughs> and I, I'm surprised if they are, you know, very successful if that's not been part of their mix. Because obviously one of the key drivers of social media is is is, is, is the mobile factor. So that's, that's an odd one. Well, and she says but it though, again. To our crowd. She says it in context of um, measuring mobile will be required and every measurement platform will need to run an iPad. So again, I think she's talking about software and applications that measure social media traffic and use and all that and maybe they're they're not able to adopt those to the iPad. I don't know. Listen, maybe this is an, an inappropriate article and we should just throw it away immediately. <laughs> On to the next one. There was just a couple of them that, that I thought were good. Like yeah. Your news will lose the race for coverage. Elections and Olympics will steal all media oxygen. Everyone else's media results will decline. Um, now, if that's applied to social media users, um, that makes a little more sense, at least what she's trying to say. I don't know if I agree with it. I mean, I think from an advertising standpoint, you often see elections and Olympics from a mass advertising yeah. um, make it very difficult at, at best and very expensive at worst well, especially to use those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, especially yeah, when they're running congruent. I mean, because political ads fill up ad space during the Olympics since they know that's where all the eyeballs are. So if you – I mean, the Olympics provide a great opportunity to get your message in front of a lot of people, but it's, expens- it's expensive Yeah, given, given the competition, given that you're competing against political ads. All right. I'm skipping around, but I want to get to the heart of one, the one that I thought was – again, this is <laughs> – 
we always pick on people and then we get crap for it. She calls herself <laughs> measurement guru Katie Payne, so she's holding herself out as a guru. I wonder Number if she seven, calls herself. I wonder if she calls herself a guru or if somebody who edited this article called calls her that. All right, fair enough, fair enough. So we'll I'm give her a break skeptical on that of, <laughs> of quote unquote gurus. Well, this will make you more skeptical. At least it did me. Number seven, you will not join another social media platform. There will be no new Facebook or Twitter. <laughs> and hmm, the first bro. thing I thought of was Pinterest, which we've talked about yeah. on this show. Um, and I was like, you oh, know, that sounds cool. Everybody I know is using Pinterest. Yeah, I saw you just started okay. following me. I've been using it like crazy for our basement remodel or finishing, yeah. I should say. I have no idea how it works. So if I accidentally <laughs> followed you on Pinterest, I apologize. <laughs> Because I, did, I linked you it to, to Facebook, and all of a sudden it's like, you're following 58 people. And I'm like, I don't even know half these people. They're my Facebook friends. <laughs> and now they're, funny. some are following me. I'm like, I don't even have any things pinned up. What, why I, would you follow me? I have me? an account? I, anyway, so, but don't you think it's maybe in 2012, that's a fair statement? Maybe. Yeah, yeah maybe. I don't know. There's a lot that are, but, you know, the thing too is, some of the emerging social platforms that are gaining popularity are pretty closed off and private. Um, the best one that I can use it as an example of one that's gained a lot of traction recently is Path. And we talked about that a couple podcasts ago. Um, if you haven't checked it out, check it out. It's path.com. Uh, that there is no place for marketers in Path. That's the idea of Path is, I mean, to to her point there, I guess, yeah, you're not going to be joining new ones because, you know, if if the new ones that people are latching onto are all about communication person to person, like the three of us or me and my family and closest friends, and it's not about um, advertising and branded pages and things like that, yeah, you're not going to be joining a new one. Um, yeah. And you might have to be you thinking about how you're going to use the current mass offerings like Facebook and Twitter um, if people are moving away from them in favor of, um, you know, resources like Path. So it'll be interesting to see what direction it goes. We might see a renaissance of people valuing their, you know, personal personal communications again rather than, you know, broadcasting to the masses or you know, this pool of people that were our acquaintances and not actually, you know, friends. Right. Well, and if she, if she's speaking specifically to healthcare marketers, I can see where, you know, they, or, you know, as an organization, they would not be joining another social media platform, but on a personal level, it might be a little different. So I, I could, I could almost guarantee she's not <clears throat> oriented this toward healthcare marketers. Um, yeah. And I think, I think what she means is there's going to be nothing as big as Facebook or Twitter. So when she says there'll be no new Facebook or Twitter, she means there's going to be nothing of that scale. I still, I, I swear I saw this, that in January, Pinterest had more traffic than Facebook, Twitter, and something else, maybe Google+. So if that's true, yeah. if I didn't just dream that up, that's not to say Pinterest is another Facebook or Twitter, but it has the potential if it's exploded that quickly. And Google+, Plus may have that potential, though I don't think it's getting there. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, I'm. I would never, you know. Even if I felt that way, um, the way she feels, and to be honest, I, I can't say that I, I don't because it's probably true. I would always be hesitant to just make that claim because this space is constantly evolving. Uh, that's just yeah. a claim that's dangerous to make. Um, yeah, but you don't get noticed if you very quickly. 
if you don't, if you know, if you if you soft pedal and hedge everything, nobody, you know, you got to put your flag out there. So that's part of what she's doing. I mean, yeah. most of the stuff is is fine. I think. Um, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. The new no new Facebook or Twitter. So that's really what I wanted to talk about. Um, she says at the end, number ten, you will use social media to change the world. Several dictators, corporations, and celebrities will make people angry enough to force them out. Social media will be the eyes, ears, and voice behind these changes. Well, that's already happening, so I agree that that's going to... Yeah. And nine is is good, too. Um, As we've been seeing, more and more clients are getting into uh, using social media and more and more are thinking about how they can actually measure it rather than just, uh, you know, dumping, regurgitating their news onto it. Um, So, yeah. Number nine was you will learn many new and exciting things about social media and measurement. Yes. So you probably will, even if you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's keep moving. Let's keep talking about um, – this is such an intriguing story, and it starts off with social media, but I think it goes a lot larger. This was a story that I think I saw, <clears throat> and it appeared in Advertising Age. It says, study, only 1% of Facebook fans engage with brands. And so – what it's talking about there is of all the people that like a brand, mm-hmm. only 1% are actually doing anything beyond just liking it. Right. Right. And the, the thing here, what this brought to mind was, because I had a conversation about something similar to this this week. Um, we talk a lot about engagement and how important it is to engage consumers uh, and how that's way more important and valuable of a goal than building awareness. But on the other hand, we also have, at least I know I have, um, really poo-pooed and mocked this idea that people want to engage their brands, right? Mm-hmm. And, that and that's why I think... Create a relationship with you? Yeah. Right. That's what this story, I think, is talking about is, I don't give a crap about my orange juice brand. I'm not going to engage it. I'm not going to you know, friend it. I'm not going to you know, have a relationship with it. And you can say that about almost everything. Maybe some things app or whatever uh, so so then i thought well how can we say both those things are we are we talking out of both sides of our mouth here i really don't think we are and i think the difference here is i want to kind of juxtapose two things i want to juxtapose a hospital and i want to juxtapose that with coca-cola right so coca-cola is a traditional brand like all the things we talk about nike my orange juice whatever they spend millions of dollars building awareness, right? So right. you think about the Super Bowl and they had the polar bears. And if I remember right, other than maybe a URL, there was no attempt to engage through the ads. But I'm sure you know, they run contests and they you know, have yeah. things on Facebook. Well, it makes sense for Coke or Nike uh, or a lot of these kind of consumer-oriented brands to spend so much on awareness because the awareness can actually help their business in the short term. So I can see an ad for Coke and go, hmm, that sounds good. I'm going to go get a Coke. Or I could see that ad for Coke and the next day be going into Super America and go thirsty and have that ad impact me because of the immediacy and pick Coke over Pepsi. Okay? So that's where awareness makes sense. It doesn't make sense for those brands, however, to try to engage because, again, unless you're giving me something for free, a contest, an award, whatever, right. Coke is not a big part of my life, 
I'm not going to really use Coke or think of Coke as, a, as an integral part of my life. So the opportunities to engage me at a, at a significant level are very few. It's very difficult. All right, so now flip that around and think about a hospital. We keep preaching that hospitals are blowing wads of cash on awareness building. <laughs> and the reason we say that that's a big waste is Joe Public doesn't care about your hospital. So unlike Coke, where 99% of the people here in ad are in a position to go buy a Coke, uh, the 99% of the people who see a hospital TV spot are not in a position to walk into a hospital and use it because they mm-hmm. don't need surgery, they don't need a doctor. Maybe not 99, but let's say 90 or whatever, right? So that's why awareness building is so ineffective in our world. But engagement has a great opportunity because <clears throat> we have the opportunity to engage people at a significant level because we could talk about health and wellness, which is something that is integral to our lives. And there are a million and one ways that we can approach that. And really get people's attention and draw them in through wellness programs, through uh, health tips, all those kind of things. So Mm -hmm. I think we're okay in in the way we've been kind of saying nobody wants to engage their brand. Nobody wants to be friends with their brand um, for most goods. In healthcare, people would want to engage with you. But again, it's not that they want to engage with you. They want to engage with content that's relevant, which typically is not about you. It's about health and wellness. Did I did I do that dance okay? Yeah, I th- I yeah, think so. Sense. You know, I would add to that too. I mean, if you look at most hospitals, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess I'm, I'm gonna guess I can say most hospitals, and this holds true. If you really drilled into your following, your Facebook following, um, let's say you have 500 fans, um, how many of those are employees? Uh, to, honestly, probably half, if not three fourths, in many cases. A lot of time, you, a lot of times when a hospital gets on to something mm-hmm. like Facebook, the first big batch of followers um, is their staff, is employees, <clears throat> which a lot of, which I think is often overlooked as a pretty powerful marketing resource. I mean, those are the people who are directly, uh, if literally and you know, metaphorically touching, you know, your, your, your customers. Um, and if you're, if you're overlooking how they could be engaged in social media to help you, how you could engage them um, in some ways using social media. Uh, you should be considering that. I mean, I can't say that we have the answers as to how, how exactly you could do that, but there's a, there's, there's a huge percentage of your following, which is most likely your staff um, that you have a chance to engage with, not necessarily directly through social media. It wouldn't have to be, you could engage with them outside of it too. And, and then use the, that army to, you know, help you, execute strategies that have social media components. Um, it's so often overlooked. It's so often overlooked and it's unfortunate. You know, there's another interesting statistic that we can throw in here too, that lines up perfectly with this. And it goes with mobile apps that uh, 1% of branded apps get opened once and then never get opened again. Um, and I think there's, there's a correlation with Facebook here is I think if you, you like something kind of like an app, you, you, if I liked a certain brand, I might go download the app and check it out. And then find that it's pretty worthless, uh, and then never open it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if your if your social media feed is is worthless, um, you know you're just putting stuff out there that's not relevant or that I'm not interested in. You know I'm probably not going to unfriend you, but I'm not going to be engaging in, engaged in any way, or I'm not going to probably yeah. notice things when you do start putting things up that might be relevant. Um, 
So I, there's there's a lot to think about there. Um, but that statistic definitely plays out in some other areas. It's interesting yeah. that you use Coke too as your example because Coke got some flack. We had an article on our show notes for the last episode. We never we didn't get to it. It's from Read Write Web. Uh, maybe we can link it up in the show notes this time. Um, but they specifically called out Coke for having, they had before the Super Bowl, they had a huge social media driven component to this campaign. And then they failed to connect it during the Super Bowl with the ads. There was like, there was like very little or nothing that was driving people back to this, uh, initiative that had started long before the Super Bowl or months before the Super Bowl. Um, but when you see it all together, they were clearly were supposed to be connected. So I think they might've missed maybe missed a little bit of an opportunity there to drive people back to that. But again, it's, it's Coke. I mean, it's yeah. probably one of those brands that's so saturated that I, I don't know that you really, I don't know how much they, how much more awareness they could possibly raise. I mean, who doesn't know about Coke? Maybe somebody in the Amazon who is, you know, never seen soda in their life. Right. They still probably but, know who Coke is. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, their goal isn't to like, you know, educate you that Coke exists. It's to make sure that you're thinking about Coke when you want to buy it. And that's, to me, the filter to all this is relevancy. You know, for Coke, right. just awareness is relevant to a consumer because I could buy a Coke every day where yeah. awareness for a hospital is not relevant because most people don't need a hospital, but, you know, once every I'm few gonna, years. I'm going to liken Coke to McDonald's, though, in that, to me, I think they're at the point... Well, I mean, it's not only who hasn't heard of Coke, but it's like who hasn't had Coke. You know, sometimes there's if what was the movie? The guy, the movie where the guy has all the fries sticking out of his mouth in the poster. Supersize like, me. Supersize yeah. me. They in that movie they talked about the science behind fast food and how it is elicits feelings with you uh, somehow chemically. You start to crave food. And your first thought goes to, uh, in this case, they were talking about, you know, the, the correlation with McDonald's and how it just makes you, the first thing you think about is McDonald's. So there's no, like, there's no brand popping up to remind you that McDonald's exists. It's just, there's some like chemical reaction that make that's like, all right, that's something I've had. It's something I know that I love. I am hungry. I need to eat McDonald's right now. Um, and to me, it seems like Coke is almost at that level. It's like, you've had Coke. Um, you know what it tastes like, you know, if you love it, and and it's the the market is so saturated with Coke advertising that um, I don't know that it's that powerful now. Like for me, if I'm in the pop aisle, if Coke is my thing, I'm gonna probably buy Coke. Um, I don't know that a Super Bowl ad reminding me that Coke exists would make me any more likely to buy Coke when I'm in the pop aisle. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna disagree. I mean, I I think what, what they would argue is that that's all well and good in a vacuum, but there are a thousand other products trying to get your attention, and uh, it's a constant battle for that purchase, right? I mean, if they stop their advertising, it's not that people will forget there's Coke, but they're going to... That advertising works, you know, at a brand level like you're talking about. I think when you said chemical level, Adam, you were talking about chemical level in the food, but branding works at a chemical level in the brain and literally overpowers your sensory part of the brain. So you may like Pepsi, the taste of it, but the brand of Coke and how it's been exposed to you over the years overpowers your taste buds. I mean, it's really powerful. So yeah, I don't know if I don't know. That's been proven. I mean, we've talked I mean, about that well, before. I'm, I can only talk about, I mean, I'm not a scientist. I haven't studied that. I haven't, I, you know, I don't have beakers set up, so I have no idea. Um, 
But I can say for myself that I have a pop that I like. That's most likely what I'm going to buy when I go into the store. Um, seeing a Coke ad isn't going to make me suddenly. I don't. I don't dislike Coke. There's just other sodas that I that I prefer. Um, and I think I'm going to guess most people who are kind of regular soda drinkers probably the same way. I mean, I can't say that for sure. It's just a hunch. No, I so agree. It's, I agree. I, Once you get, you have loyalty. Yeah, no, I think I think food products are kind of a weird area in branding because you have favorites and that oftentimes no amount of branding is probably going to, you know, overcome your favorites. I don't know. Yes, it's very difficult to overcome once you have brand loyalty. That's why you strive so hard to get it. Yeah. Right. I mean, once people are loyal, it's hard for them to to try something else. But right. But food. The um, difference between like is the experience that's created. Like Apple. If you compare Apple to, and Coke, you know, Apple creates an amazing experience, but it has like nothing to do with me actually putting something in my body. So there's a different reason for it. Um, whereas like Coke or McDonald's, you know, I'm literally, and I and I, I use McDonald's, not the McDonald's as my preference. I'm just using that as a, as like an example. Um, there's something else going on there because it's not only a, it's a combination of like the the chemical reactions that we're talking about. It's not just you know how Whoa. your brain responds, right. the synapses firing there. It's also you know that whatever whatever creates that lust inside <laughs> of you for a for a particular taste of something. So you're saying that some food manufacturers put some kind of tonic in their food or drink <laughs> that makes you crave it fortnightly. Lust potion, <laughs> like well, they, they. I mean, they do. I mean, it's not really. A, it's not like a magic potion. It's just that whatever their recipe is. I mean, if I, I prefer Dr Pepper, I'm not going to buy Coke or Pepsi over Dr Pepper. No amount of branding is going to make me like it better. Dr Pepper to me tastes better, so that's what I'm going to buy. Um, well, so okay. there is a tonic. It is their product, right? But I think you can apply that to other ton- to other things. You could apply that to an Apple computer. Just you're just. I think you're trying to draw a distinction between a physical experience like inside like the taste and the no i'm yeah i mean there's just there's something different i mean there's there's more going on in terms of in in either in either route i mean it's just there's 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 just some different factors that come into play when it when when you get past the brand itself we can agree to disagree on that i probably disagree i'm gonna guess we don't really disagree i'm gonna guess we agree on it jackie do we agree or disagree well, you kind of agree and you kind of disagree. You haven't been listening. That was a political answer. <laughs> hey, I don't want to get in the heat of an argument here. <laughs> We're not having an argument. We're I mean, I mean, you can't really. I mean, what I'm saying isn't. You can't say that I'm full of crap. I, mean, I didn't in terms say of that. Like, in I just said we agree to disagree. Well, no, no, but but I mean, you can't say that I'm I'm wrong in terms of like. That you can't tell me that branding, that Coke branding, would make me want to buy Coke over Dr. Pepper. I'm not trying not to tell you to. anything. Can do any, anybody can do anything to you? No, I'm not doing <laughs> <What>? it. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying we. I think we have different perspectives on this, and we should yeah. probably let it go because we've gone on this like ten minutes now. It's going to be another hour long podcast, to, people. Agree <laughs> to disagree basically means let's stop anyway. talking about it. We have one more thing. Well, let's let Jackie talk. Let's see. Maybe we can apply our our thinking to this because it is food related, and it's branding related. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's an ad that we love. I, I well, well, Jackie, you apparently. love. I do. I don't know about Adam. What's? Well, why don't you describe it? Okay. Well, it. The first time I actually saw it was I was watching the Grammys this last Sunday, 
and saw this. It was actually, it's actually like a two minute and 20 second long ad for Chipotle and it's called Back to the Start. And Adam informed me before this that it's actually, it actually came out late August and went viral quite a bit. So I have a feeling this might've been the first time it actually aired was Sunday night at the Grammys on television. But essentially, like I said, it's from Chipotle and it's, I, I think it's maybe claymation, but it's, it's kind of just this, um, it, it basically starts with, it talks about the farming and it starts with a family and a pig and how they obviously farm these pigs. And then it kind of goes through how obviously it evolved to becoming more um, industrialized, you know, and pigs. This in, is all... This is all shown. There's no, nobody's talking. I mean, there's music, but th- right. you see this come to life, what you're describing. It's, right. okay. it's a sequence. Yeah. That's about two minutes and two minutes long. And um, <clears throat> I mean, it's kind of hard to describe with, without actually seeing it, but essentially it's talking about how you started with, you know, just a family and a few pigs on a farm and that's how it was. And then it got super industrialized and you can kind of insinuate the treatment of the animals and then how it's ended up back to the beginning or how Chipotle is trying to convey how they're kind of back to the start with how they're doing their farming, I'm assuming. And so yeah, it's, it's really – oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I don't want to interject. If you got more, I didn't want to, I didn't want to interject. Go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say I thought it was – I think the creative of the ad is incredible. I like the message and – um, Willie Nelson sings the song and it's just, it's just really compelling and I think it's well done and I appreciate the message but originally when I first watched it and I'll be interested to see what you guys think I struggled slightly and I see that there are some comments on their YouTube channel about that too that it is Chipotle and <laughs> they're basically I understand <laughs> that you. they're talking about you know the sustainability of um, agriculture and you know just more than anything it seems like being ethical and how you're you know, treating your animals and the food that you bring what? to the restaurant. But I'm also kind of, I also originally, my original reaction was just kind of like, okay, but you still end up, you know, killing the little piggies. So it just, well, it, you know, it just kind of struck me. Well, it's not about not killing pigs though. It's about getting back to like using local, local homegrown stuff rather than reaching out and only using mass produced commercial, um, commercial products in terms of the stuff that they use in their food. So I'm just curious. I mean, it sounds like Chris that you don't like it. What, but, and you had a little negative reaction there to saying that the Chipotle can't pull off this type of message. What, what's behind that? Why do you, is that what you, is that what your assessment? Well, I, I like, I like what they're trying to do. Um, I'm with Jackie. I thought it was very creative and I thought it was a, it's a nice message. Uh, but you know, I'm old, I'm cynical and I laughed at it because I'm like, well, first of all, to Jackie's point, I I get that it's not about not killing pigs anymore, but they treat the pig like it's part of the family in the beginning and the end. And I'm like, no, you're still going to slaughter this pig. The second part of it is, and that's a minor thing. The way Jackie described it's right. You know, you start off with a simple farming and then it's this mass produced, the pigs are like assembly line into a big factory and they're cut into squares and and the whole point is you know that's the the big mass commercialization we need to get back to kind of like sustainability i'm like you're chipotle i'm sorry maybe that's you are killing one cow at a time but you've got you know you used to first of all you were started by mcdonald's and you've got stores you know how many chipotle stores are there you cannot tell me that they are not mass producing chicken and beef 
at some level. So it's to me, it's really not believable at all. If that was for a, um, I don't know, some kind of co-op or something, or or, or <laughs> yeah. you know, some small farm, then I think it, it, that message rings true. Uh, I like the message. I just don't believe it from Chipotle for a, a split second. And so instead of making me feel good about Chipotle, it makes me feel snarky about them. So I know I'm cynical and I'm old and that's the way I feel, but that's, my, that was my issue with it. Well, my understanding is that, I mean, it's not like Chipotle has like one little farm in rural Minnesota that supplies all of their restaurants across the world. Um, my understanding is that Chipotle works with people who are local to whatever area they're in to supply a lot of the products that they serve in the store um right so it's not it's so i mean there's a distinction i think to draw there i mean we are my wife and i do the the co-op route and we use um you know like local local farmers who who hug their cows and pigs every morning like the people do here in this little clip um but uh i don't know i guess i don't I was a pretty big Chipotle fan for a while. I really got burnt out on it because, I mean, it's just eating the same thing for a while gets starts to get old. And honestly, I think the quality of the food has gone downhill a little bit. It doesn't taste as good, and the meat doesn't seem as good as it used to be. Um, so interesting. I mean, preface it by saying that, but I don't know. I guess I don't know that I agree. And you know me. I mean, I could be pretty damn cynical as well. But I don't know that to me this is a turnoff um, on on the grounds that Chipotle can't claim this as a message um because i mean if they literally are getting all of their supplies or like a you know a vast majority of them from local farmers wherever they might be then i mean i don't i don't it's not hard to believe there's quite a few people who do this kind of stuff who produce this stuff on a smaller scale not commercially um and there definitely is a difference between i mean when it comes down to animal cruelty uh, in terms of you know big barns full of chickens that never get to see the light of day and they don't even have legs that work and they have like things put over their eyes. So they don't kill each other in the dark. And, you know, there's, there's a difference between that when you think about it versus, you know, a, you know, a, a traditional farmyard with a bunch of chickens running around outside. And I mean, this, the way that the animal lives its life before it, it is, it is consumed <laughs> is the message that they're talking about here. You know, it wasn't yeah. that, you know, these animals in both cases were, bred and raised to be consumed um but you know one set didn't live a torturous tortured life while the others did um so i mean i guess it just comes down to how much you but you also have to have an understanding uh, if you don't have you haven't like watched documentaries and had an interest in understanding that i don't know that a commercial like this is necessarily going to convey that message so it's it's powerful to people who already grasp that and understand it um but that might may very well be a you know a certain mm-hmm. percentage of their market as well. I think yeah. I think that that's a big part of it, Adam. Because I don't you know I'm I'm all for you know treating animals even if they're being raised to slaughter in the right way. I don't think of Chipotle as the way you guys are describing it, and and maybe that is their brand, and I'm not aware of it. I think of Chipotle as another fast food option. I don't see yeah. or think of anything related to these kind of themes. So that's why I'm maybe overly cynical because I'm like. Well, yeah, you, that's you know, true. I, I don't think of that at all. You know, my son loves Chipotle. I know he, he, if I asked him this, he would have no clue. He just likes the food. Um, but maybe this all explains why when I went there last night, they didn't have any chicken. <laughs> it might. It might. <laughs> because they're, very, very well they're not using mass sources because literally yeah. walked in there. And well, and it's not, doesn't it's not, matter when I go in, there's a line. And this time there was a line because they had no chicken. 
I mean, it's not, and it's not super cheap fast food. I mean, it's not McDonald's. You're going to pay a few bucks more for whatever it is you're going to get yeah. at Chipotle. So they definitely mm-hmm. have, you know, some, some added, and it's not like it's taking any longer for them to prepare the food or there's more work going into it. I mean, I think that's pretty much the same level as any fast food place. So I'm hoping that the added cost comes from the fact that they, um, well, I'm sure it comes from a couple things. A, it's supposed to be seen as kind of a premium fast food place where there's more of a, experience and more of a you know classy feel to it um but b i'm hoping that some of that cost is because the cost of operations of actually supporting uh you know local farms and getting stuff that's not mass produced has to be passed along to the consumer on some level so yeah i don't know but i mean i think i i i would like to think that maybe as a society we can get to the point where fast food is you know where we don't necessarily always think about it as having to be you know, the commercial mass produced crap that's just full of stuff we shouldn't put in our bodies um, and start being able to think about some fast food as being, you know, maybe more supportive of a local economy, healthier, um, more in line with the uh, you know, principles of supporting all forms mm-hmm. of life when it comes to like farm animals and whatnot. And I'm not trying to sound like a hippie. I'm certainly not. Um, but I think <laughs> that there's merit in, in, in a lot of that stuff. Maybe you shouldn't yeah. be wearing dreadlocks then, because that kind of makes yeah, you look cut like cut those hippie. off. Well, yeah, but once you make the decision to put those in, you can't really reverse that unless you want to shave your head. So put I'm not ready to in. shave. Put those in. All right, we better we better wrap it up. We once again have been long winded. At least we're not an hour this time. Good yeah. gravy. We got some accolades for that though. People like our Super Bowl Sunday spectacular, as they should. Really? Yeah. Hopefully they like this. We start off with a story that really had no clue about and we're confused by. And then we move to uh, a heated discussion about whether the food that you put in your body somehow chemically alters your brain to make you want it more. Right. To that was a stretch. Thumbs up, thumbs down on Chipotle. Not a stretch. It's science. <laughs> we, we're not going to get back in Well, I mean, it. a stretch from the article we were originally talking oh, about. Oh, yes. Yes. Happening. Yes. All right. Anywho. <laughs> One it there. So for Arrogant Healthcare Marketing, Chipotle, Facebook, Bastards, Bastards. this is Chris Bevelo. Jackie Retackle. And Dr. Adam Meyer. <laughs> we will talk to you next time. Bye.